We now dismiss our children for their time of worship, those kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. We continue to read this morning from the Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 12. Moses has commanded Pharaoh upon the authority of God to let God's people go from enslavement, but Pharaoh has said no. The plagues have ensued as Moses warned, and we are about to approach the final plague as we come to chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. Slaughter it at twilight. Take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb the same night that they, they shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. This is how you should eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animal. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When you see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord throughout your generations. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May we hear from the ancient text. Words that are as new and fresh as this moment. May we hear sacred words, God. Your words. That guide and lead. And grant wisdom and insight. May we be open. May we be humble. May we be willing to hear what you have to say to your people this day. In the name of Jesus, our Christ, we pray. Amen. So after some countless years of raising children, we decided that our backyard could actually use some grass on the ground. The swing sets were gone, all the bicycles were gone, the trampoline was gone, the baseball paths were gone. We decided we'd get some real grass growing in the backyard. So we called a company and said, what can, how can you help us here? They came out, they analyzed it. They set up some sprinklers, they planted lots of seed, and we watched, and we waited. And, yeah, not too much. Sort of like the hair on the top of an older man's head, you know, just sort of hit hit and miss. They said, oh, we need shade-resistant seed. I said, that would be a good idea. There seems to be a lot of trees back here. So they put in shade-resistant trees or shade-resistant seed, and not so much, really. After two years, with a lot of water, 
not much grass. Year three, they said, what we're going to do now is sod it. We're just going to bring in pre-made grass and lay it down and we'll just water it. It's going to be magic. I said, that sounds great. But after about a month, uh, it started looking like, you know, peach fuzz. Not much. What's wrong, I said. Well, you got these trees, they said. To which I replied, they've always been there. They were here three years ago when we started, but then the light bulb came on for me. I'm being given a hint, a hint that I have ignored for three years, and that is grass doesn't grow in my backyard. I can fight it. I can do everything I can. It will not grow in the backyard. Can you take a hint? Do you remember that old TV show, Hee Haw? Grady Nutt was one of the actors on it. It was a skit one time. I don't know why I remember it. It's from a doctor's office. person came into the doctor and said, Doc, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor said, well, then don't do this. Simple, yet kind of profound. Can you take a hint? How are you at taking hints? Those nudges that life gives every person every group, every community, every culture, those hints that come, those nudges to say, do this, don't do that. Go this way. Nudges that invite reflection and consideration. For example, I'm sure this didn't happen to you directly, but when your roommate, your college roommate came home drunk for the first time, and had a huge hangover the next day, how did they do with that? Did they take the hint and go, this is not a wise idea. Let's not do this again. Or did they say, let's get over this so we can go out and do it again? Can you take a hint? These hints come all the time. They steer us back to the good. They're always wanting to steer us toward what is right. You cheat someone. You cheat your spouse or your coworker, your classmate. You cheat them and you got away with it, but, but you didn't. There's something going on in your stomach. Something feels wrong. You feel guilt. You feel disgust with yourself and you hate that feeling. But what if that feeling is actually a hint from God? Or conversely, Maybe you've done something good. Maybe you helped somebody in a very selfless way and you didn't do it for credit. You weren't, no one was looking. You just did it because it seemed right. And you feel it in you. It's, it's, you feel alive. You feel connected. You feel purposeful. That's a hint. That's a good hint. This is good. Do this. The book of Exodus is a story that connects these hints to the creator. It slaps a label on them and says, that's God. Don't miss this. This is God. These hints, these are sacred hints. And so this ancient and primitive story of a God who speaks and acts and moves the world toward goodness and liberation and freedom and harmony, it's a complex story. It's a story told from the point of view of those who have been enslaved and set free how they experience the events of life as sacred hints, directives, nudges to life. 
they didn't write Exodus as a literal telling of the story. They didn't write a documentary. It's not about facts. It's about truth. It's a story told to convey the richness and the truthfulness of the energy of love that is always around us, seeking to give these sacred hints. What if these sacred hints are all around us all the time, every day? But perhaps they're too subtle, or they're too challenging, or too disorienting, so that we miss them. We just miss them. Or... Perhaps we're just too put off by them. It's too much, and we reject them outright. The purpose of the book of Exodus, the purpose of faith itself, it seems to me, is to invite us into a language and culture and people and a story that allows these sacred hints to be revealed to us, to rise up and be noticed and reflected on. And considered so that we can find that mystery of God that somehow out of no way, a God way appears. So Moses goes to Pharaoh to deliver Yahweh's message to him. Sitting about me, he said, this is about God. Let God's people go. Let them go. Enslavement is a re- reveals that the world is not as God wants it to be. You, Pharaoh, have the opportunity to make the world right. Let the people go. Let's do this thing together as enslaved and enslaver. Let's find the harmony. Let's find the abundance. Let's find the sustainable way that moves the human story toward wholeness and life and freedom and Eden. What God dreamed for the world from the first day of creation. And Pharaoh says, no, no. Pharaoh is any people, any system with no God, no sense of the sacred, no sense of the mystical dimension of life. Pharaoh's slogan is the same, generation to generation, might makes right. Pharaoh views those with no powers as tools to be managed, not as people to be respected and considered. Pharaoh uses people. And he even uses population control, kill those babies, drown those baby boys as a way to main control. So Pharaoh says, no, we'll keep things as they are. Moses warns and still the response is no. And the people are stuck. But everywhere we find life out of the sacred balance. When people are exploited, when people are not honored, their gifts not valued, when people are kicked out or left out or not considered, you can just look around and count on it. The divine hints are there waiting to be revealed. If you can't grow grass in the backyard, can you take a hint? Stop trying to grow grass. 
It's time to try a different plan. It's time to go a different direction. Pharaoh says no, and so the hints, the plagues begin. Water into blood, frogs, lice, wild animals, flies, diseased livestock, welts on people's bodies, hailstorms, locusts, darkness. It sounds like a middle school boy wrote these or made these up. But they're comprehensive, and they come right out of nature. And I don't want to try to defend the story at a literal level. But I think the story has enormous power in telling the truth that those who have the eyes to see will find the sacred hints that come from God, from life, following us, accompanying us, not to harass and harangue us, not to shame us, but to lead us, to guide us in your own life. You can feel it. As I said, you can feel it in your own body. We tell our children, listen to your body. Well, listen to your own body. Listen to your own spirit. When things aren't right, people who are in AA tell me, when I stop doing my meetings, when I stop doing my step work, I can tell. I can feel it in my soul. And I know something bad is about to happen. When people feel anxious or resentful, when our spirits are unsettled, it's like Well, it's like frogs in your belly. A whole swarm of frogs that just stir your life up and keep you disoriented. Listen. Listen. Don't fight it. Don't deny it. Don't ignore it or repress it. Listen. It's a hint. In our community, when things are amiss, when we're snapping at each other or worrying about things that aren't important, important, it's like little lice get into our system and just keep biting away at us and keep us not focused on that which is most important. And it's an invitation to listen. It's not an enemy. It's a friend. Let's listen together. As a culture, when our environment's out of balance, when Animals and plants struggle when water levels rise and storms hit. hit, uh, It's nature, but it's also human actions. Can we take a hint? Is there something here we need to hear? And when as a world things go out of balance, when Pharaoh, when the powers disdain and disregard the people, and the people are as disoriented as people are today, surely it's a time for us to rise up and listen to the hints. The plagues and the hints, they don't create the imbalance. They reveal the imbalance. God doesn't create the disorientation. We've created it. God is revealing it. And those with eyes to see will see. Pharaoh didn't have the eyes. He didn't consider the message. He considered the plagues his enemy and did everything he could to change and thwart them and suppress them, to destroy and silence them, which is an immature way of responding to the hints that come our way. My pastor friend Kevin Cosby at St. Stephen says, that's like blaming the scales 
when you step on them and discover that you weigh too much. It's not the scale's fault. Let's take a hint. And so the tenth plague comes. You might call it the boomerang plague. The do unto you what you have done unto others plague. You remember Exodus begins with Pharaoh's population control method. Kill all the little Israelite boys. Midwives, just kill them. Or throw them in the Nile. And so comes the tenth plague, the consequence. Egyptian firstborns begin to die. Life has consequences. Jesus said, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Destruction begets destruction. You reap what you sow. And we say this not in gladness, but in sadness. We don't say, well, you had it coming. What we say is, violence is fickle. It's like Frankenstein. It will turn on you. So Pharaoh, take a hint. This isn't working. This isn't in harmony with God. The grass won't grow in the shade. Or as someone put it, your arms are too short to box with God. You can't do it. Walter Brueggemann, our friend, says history is turned toward well-being. I hope you believe this. That history and the dream of God is turned toward well-being, toward inclusion and wholeness, toward life and beauty and wisdom. And that's what God wants. And you've got to admit, Yahweh gave Pharaoh ten pretty good signs, ten pretty big hints, inviting him to join this way. What about us? Will we join this way? There's a second hint. That is present in our reading for today. A reminder, not to Pharaoh, but to those who are being delivered. Lamb's blood on the door. I know this is ancient imagery. Primitive. The sacrificial system of killing rams and bulls and even people. It seems barbaric, almost anti-Christian. And I know that here at Highland, we... We're not homophobic, but we're hemophobic. We fear blood. Y'all don't like to talk about blood. You know that, right? 20 years ago when I came, they said, don't talk about blood. Can't sing power in the blood. Can't sing there's a fountain filled with blood. And I understand. We've all seen a lot of simplistic, formulaic, substitutionary atonement theology religion that all originates from this blood image. But let's not throw it away. Before we consider redeeming it and repurposing it, this language of blood, yes, it's primitive. But blood is about life. And shed blood is about sacrificial energy or resources that come in love for another. So the blood of the lamb on the side of the door is to say, life requires sacrifice. And to live under the blood is to be in sync with life's intention that right connections and abolishing oppression will cost us. It will cost us. And we have to be able to say with humility, 
that we're here. We're here on this earth because someone else made a sacrifice for us. Every person in this room was born into this world through sacrifice. And to find the humility to say, my life, my freedom came at the cost of blood and life is to say, I am made by God, for God, in God. And so once a month we gather at this table. We hold up the cup and we say, Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you. It's a sacred hint. It's a symbol of love and hope and struggle and life. And we are invited into this work. So these hints come at all levels. Many times a day. Sometimes they're very subtle. Sometimes you almost miss them. They're no bigger than a little Jiminy Cricket sitting on your shoulder, reminding of you of who you are. But sometimes they come in the form of a hurricane, and they just overwhelm you. They're so obvious. They come from God. It's like Harry Potter receiving his invitation to Hogwarts. It will find its way toward you. It will come through the chimney. It'll come through the door. It'll come through the window, but it will find you. How are you going to respond? You respond like Pharaoh to reject the hints, to call them the enemy, to resist and deny the consequences, to avoid and defend and create your own reality, your own facts, and live within it? Is that what we want to do? Or do we want to be the people who can allow even the plagues of life to be transformed into gift, call, invitation, consideration? Can you take a hint? Let's pray together. We sometimes go looking for you, God, and you are right under our noses, closer to us than our own skin. Give us the wisdom to see the truths you bring each and every day to us. And form us into a community of faith that has wise discernment and brave consideration of all the ways that you are seeking to change and form us into the people of God for this day and time. In your holy name we pray. Amen.